All right, I'm, I'm here at SYMC, Simply Youth Ministry Conference, and we are recording some digital side hug episodes, I guess you could say. I have got Brian Halfordy with me. And Brian, I, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be here with you. Yeah. The, the, the guy in charge of Simply Youth Ministry, Jason Ostrander, is a friend of mine. I said, who should I talk to when I'm there? Could I do a podcast? What do you think? He said, you got to talk to Brian Halfordy. That guy is doing amazing things. <laughs> and yeah. so I want to find out what those amazing things are. Sure. Thank you for being with us. Now, you just you just landed You're we in did. Columbus. Yeah. Where, did you, where are you from? Tell us that. Yeah, so we uh, flew out of Seattle and... Um, uh, based in Ellensburg, Washington, so uh, two hours east of uh, east of Seattle. Those are some of my guys over there. Yeah, we're recording in the atrium here, so some of Brian's uh, fellows might be coming by to to you know distract. Right. Um, and this is it's this is a fun environment to record in. I, this is yeah. my first time to kind of do this in the lobby of a, yeah, of very a youth cool. conference like this. Good space. Um, Brian, I know you're you're you've landed today. You're contributing. You're you're. Uh, doing some things here at yeah. the conference. Tell yeah. us real quick, what are you doing here? So I'm leading a, a cohort or a two-track, um, two-seminar track on young adults. And the first is uh, caring for the souls of young adults. And the second is leading young adults on mission. We position those strategically. So before any um, leadership or call to mission happens, um, I've seen uh, through reading and personal experience um, that the care needs to be present. So. Young adults, particularly late adolescents, um, need to know they're cared for before they're willing to be actually led into a place of challenge and uh, obligation and um, responsibility. So we have those uh, caring for the young adult soul and then leading young adults on mission. And we may come back around to talk about some of that in a little bit because one of the one of the questions I want to ask you has to do with what you see yeah. about what we're yeah, doing right. in, in youth ministry. Yeah. Most of the people I have interviewed are youth ministers. Right. You work with young adults, so I think this will be a neat uh, and beneficial perspective for us. Sure. One of the things I like to do at the start of this podcast is kind of learn a little about a little bit about our guest. Uh, so I'm going to start the music, and Brian, I'm just going to ask you some questions. I hope this is okay. Oh, fine, yeah. Uh, these hopefully will be painless. Um, do, do you have a favorite episode of the Andy Griffith Show? <laughs> you know. Uh, out of all the TV shows that my wife and I uh, devour, the Andy Griffith Show is is not among them, unfortunately. So have you have you never seen the Andy I, Griffith I Show? I can say um, that I've never seen wow, the Andy Griffith Show. Wow, that's awesome. There's a part of me that wondered, should I run? If you listen, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you you probably have a sense that I don't script this. Um, <laughs> and, and now every, you know that. Uh, th- well, that's that in itself is such an exciting answer. You know, because you have got a world of Andy Griffith out Mm. there on Netflix. All right, okay, it's on Netflix. That's good to know. That's good to know. And my favorite episode, I'll just share with you. Yeah, please do. Is Mr. McBeavy? Okay. I believe it's season three, episode one. Mr. McBeavy. Oh my goodness! Oh, it's so great, Brian. That that is so awesome. Do you get a lot of your uh, the the folks that you you talk with that they've. They're familiar, very familiar with um, Andy Griffith Show. Or? Well, yeah, actually. Really? Now, I don't ask the, all the, the questions that I ask are typically different. So okay, I've okay. never Got asked anyone enough. that question. Um, in the South, the Andy Griffith Show is, is of course, more iconic yeah. than it would be in your location in yeah. the state of Washington. Um, so I can only guess, but I would, I would say most of the people I've interviewed would have at least seen it. In fact, I don't know that I've ever met anyone that's never seen hey, an episode of Andy Griffith. Here that's we are. So great. Um, do you have 
a go-to karaoke song? Uh, I'm incredibly intimidated by karaoke, although I love singing, uh, particularly in the shower or in the car by myself. Okay, so so is there a go-to shower song? I'm a, like, like you're getting really good at it. I I, uh, I like to invent, just uh, uh, kind of uh, create as I go. So I typically don't don't uh, unless it's just a song I've been like is in my head, you know, for the moment. But yeah, yeah. I just kind of make up random lyrics and just so kind you, of sew you the would, song together myself. Yeah. You would fit in in my context in Middle <laughs> Tennessee. So, Perfect songwriter. All right. in Nashville. That's All right, right yeah. uh, Morris Gregwire uh, has a Facebook page called Asking Can Be Fun, okay. where he has hundreds of amazing discussion starters, yeah. uh, conversation starters. Questions that I love. I'm going to ask you one. You give me an answer. This is from uh, Asking Can Be Fun. What candy or candies were slash are automatically discarded during the annual Halloween candy sorting process? Okay, so uh, this is just a matter of... When you were a kid, and okay. you, you know, oh, oh yeah. So when I was a kid, I mean, we all go through pour the out candy. the pillowcase or whatever it is, the the, gar- the bag, and and what's thrown away instantly? Candy corn for sure. Candy corn candy gets corn the hook. No good. Yeah. Okay. Candy corn. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that anybody loves candy corn, <laughs> right. but like you don't peace. like it at all. Yeah. Like, for Easter, I mean, who, yes, who likes those right. things? Yes, that's right. There's these, these necessary things that just get thrown away, the, and they they always come they back, always and do, no one yeah. really likes them. Okay, there's a button in front of you. Yeah. If you press the button, you must watch 90 minutes okay. of the game show network every day for the rest of your life. Wow. Jeopardy. You can, you can choose the three you know, okay, so I, shows. Okay, so it ha- can't. But okay. it, it doesn't have to be consecutive, got but it, you've got, got to it. log 90 minutes All right. okay. on the game show network. All right. If you press the button. Now, if you do not press the button, you may never watch TV again in any form all right not recorded television programs not dvr not netflix Hulu. so this is so let me just get this right so i have to watch just 90 minutes like uh over and each day 90 minutes of of game shows yes in, these, in this particular okay you have to tune into the game show network yeah. for 90 minutes a, a day. day for the rest of your life or no tv ever or you give up tv in all forms for the Gosh. rest of your life that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. I, I know. I try. I work really hard to put together <laughs> compelling button I questions. T- I can tell. Jeez, uh, and there's no, like, uh, this isn't going right. There's no, like, breakup switch. You've you heard know? it all. Okay. I mean, you've got about 20 more seconds to either press or not right. press the button. Uh, I guess. Um, can I passively watch? <laughs> you Can I watch, yes. like, while doing other things? Yes, I'm gonna allow you to passively watch. Okay. But but. Jeopardy then. But there will have to be some. So you're gonna press the button. Yeah, I'll press the button. Okay, great. Uh, my my final question, sort of the get to know me stuff for yeah. you. I was told to ask you this. All right. You have a son named Soren. Yeah. I was told ask him why his son's name is Soren, and I'm 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 guessing. Could it possibly be because you love Epcot Center in Disney World so much <laughs> that you named your son after the ride Soren? Dave, we're connecting so deeply. <laughs> right, this is amazing. I had a feeling. You know, you know, why did you name your son Soren? Uh, in, in college, I was uh, uh, really hooked on Soren Kierkegaard, the, the Danish philosopher. Yeah. So um, he had always kind of had a place in my kind of intellectual, spiritual kind of like story. Um, and... Uh, 
my wife actually was the one that wanted to name our son Soren, cool. kind of to honor that, um, because we, I talked about him incessantly when we were starting to date and stuff. Um, and uh, I was actually a little hesitant. I, I was reluctant at first, but I grew on me, and now our 10-month-old, is his name's Soren, and wow. he's fantastic. And, you guys started dating, and you were talking a lot about Soren character. I was, what, yeah. So what? Two, two questions. Yeah. First yeah. and quickly. Yeah. Does Does your son have the two dots above the E? No, we did. We kept it okay. very anglicized. Okay, yeah. so it's just S O R E N. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, but I think it's actually a slash through the O. So oh, is not, it a slash yeah, through yeah, the yeah. O? You're right, but 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 your son doesn't. Yeah, have doesn't a slash have it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. What a, what what letter is that? I don't know. Maybe it's an O. Maybe it's a different way to pronounce it. Or maybe it's not a zero. <laughs> that could be it. Like the. Ghostbusters yeah. symbol yep. saying not a zero. I am <laughs> I, I'm an idiot. Uh, but I'm guessing you are not an idiot if you <laughs> were a big fan of Sorg and Kierkegaard. What about him made you so excited? Like, like, right. were you a ph- philosophy student? I was, yeah, I a- was a philosophy major, and so that was a, a part of it. Um, he has this uh, this uh, description of faith in a lot of his books, really, but um, in one book called Fear and Trembling where he just uh, sets this idea of what faith really looks like um, as, a, as this incredible, like almost like a, a big leap, something that you um, requires much of us. And we can't be casual Christians, kind of is this kind of, you're speaking to a, uh, a Danish um, culture that everybody thought they were Christians just because of the fact that they're Danish, right? They were born into the Born into it, exactly. And so he's speaking um, that no, it demands everything. Kind of like Dietrich Bonhoeffer would yeah. say later mm-hmm. on. And, and um, you know, current voices are saying in, in different ways. And so he said this um, in his particular context. Um, and uh, the way he presented it um, was very compelling to me. In my, it was my early stages of my faith development. Um, and so I really believe the Lord, in lots of ways, um, used that to challenge me to um, really trust him. Um, and so he's, yeah, for that reason, um, held a significant place just in my kind of personal spiritual development. When you started Lord. when you started down the road to philosophy yeah. as a philosophy student, yeah. did you imagine that you would end up being a, a pastor to college students, to young adults? Uh, I, you know, it, it was one of those things in, in lots of ways where um, people would come up to you and said, you're going to be a pastor, you know, and I was... Did you grow up in faith? No, in, in I, I didn't. I, I, wow. I, yeah. But people came up to you and said well, that? Well, in college. So okay. while in college. So okay. when I had already been walking with the Lord. Got it. Um, and uh, I, I was reluctant to um, agree with them. Um, but uh, through prayer and through, um, you know, wise counsel, um, yeah, I came to see that that was kind of a vocation that the Lord was leading me towards. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually thought we had a crisis on our hands. <laughs> it's, it's great. Uh, Jason O'Strader just just tripped and fell. Um, um, okay, well, that's so. How smart are you? I, I, <laughs> Probably. I was I was told you're one of the smartest people in oh. in you know that we that I know. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I maybe put off a good vibe. I, <laughs> I don't know. I I enjoy reading. I enjoy studying. It's um, something I enjoy doing. So. Well, let me okay before we get to the middle the, your your work with college students and yeah. that question the big question that I right. have for yeah. you yeah. Jason uh, who just tripped and walked past <laughs> um, he said you got to talk to this guy interview mm. him he's doing great things mm. what are you doing that's so great why are you so awesome why would Jason want me to, to sit down with you and, and have you speak to youth ministers 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, instantly I, I kind of uh, lean towards being always self-deprecating. So it's hard for me to answer that question, right? Um, but I, I guess one of the things that, that Jason and I connect on often um, is uh, kind of uh, futuring or thinking about the future with regards to specifically the church, you know, and what will the church look like with the, you know, the... Um, the rising uh, uh, kind of tide of secularism meeting, you know, um, kind of older structures um, with the, you know, the question of the millennials, you know, all these things, what does it look like for these things to collide? Um, and so this is a thing I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about and praying about um, and, uh, you know, uh, journaling about, talking with other, other thought leaders about. And so um, I can imagine maybe that was one of the reasons um, that Jason recommended me. So when so. you guys get together, you're dreaming about what it might look like, yeah. what it could look like, yeah. what it will look like if nothing changes, mm-hmm. and if that's a disturbing picture, then yeah. what has to change now yeah. to change exactly. that? Exactly, exactly, yeah. There's a, um, maybe if I can expand, there's a, uh, Please. one of my seminary professors wrote a book um, uh, on just uh, the history of evangelicalism, and he, he said that um, evangelicalism, evangelical conversion, so the particular, like, conversions that happening and maybe I'm using language whatever again the great awakening um, uh, happened with the the um, uh, the rising tide um, of, of modernity and the closing tide of, of uh, Christendom meaning that like um, still everybody was Chris, uh, Christian like we talked about with Soren Kierkegaard but uh, modernity was emphasizing the individual in a way that hadn't been emphasized before and so you see the conversion experiences happening within that particular time reflecting a very distinct feeling of um, I am an individual before God not necessarily a group before God but an individual before God um, but still have the, um, the spiritual landscape to actually have a conversion so um, what we see is here's looking at these two things converging in the past. What what I'm really interested in what's converging in the future. Did this collision occur late 1700s, yeah, early 1800s, or before that? Uh, it's so the the collision itself, I guess you could say, was with the Wesleys and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. 1700s, exactly. Yeah, mid 1700s. Yeah. Okay. My, the tribe that I belong to, Churches of Christ, yeah. the Stone Campbell movement. Got had its origins okay. at the end of this time yeah, yeah. at the in the early 1800s. So I, I that definitely speaks to me. Um, so you, you were saying, and I interrupted you. You no, were saying yeah. you look at the past and you see that this collision happened. Yeah. So what what as you look to the future, what do you see? Right. So a lot of people are writing um, about uh, the church. Uh, uh, losing a lot of people the rise of the nuns you know that big study came out um i think it was pew the pew research study came out Mm -hmm. um the rise of the nuns and so um lots of times and this is nothing maybe incredibly new i don't necessarily um, claim to offer anything novel or new um but with um models of church um depending on attracting people to come in um rather than um uh, going into the world and in um, interesting uh, missional ways um, we're just that's it's not going to work anymore at least to the capacity that it has in the 80s 70s yeah. 90s inviting people in worked yeah church right. isn't normative anymore uh-huh. and so one of the questions I'm interested even even right now with young adults is why they continue to attend church in a in a social in a you know in a country where church isn't is no longer normative um, what compels them to be part of a church when it's not a social norm and what are you finding? Uh, you know, it's the typical are, things you would expect. Yeah, are you a campus minister? For I'm um, just to clarify your context, the yeah, context yeah, you yeah. minister mm-hmm. in. You're a you're a member of a church staff. I am. I you am. are at a university. 
Is it a Christian university? It is not. Okay, so you're you're ministering to students on a Christian cam- or on a, on a, a, a campus that is not a Christian campus, yeah. but some of those students do go to church. Yeah, yeah. In a culture where where that is becoming less and less the norm yeah. for a young adult, yeah. why do you find that they stick with it? Why do you find right. that they don't? Right. And we can, uh, we can like this is almost like bridges into some of the stuff specifically with young adults that you know, like I know you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So this might be even a segue into yeah. some of that, but I can answer this question. We can see where it goes. Well, and I can just throw yeah. that big question out. I mentioned yeah. to it before our podcast. I'm the thing that I really want to hear you speak to. And as you said, I think this is the springboard to that for those of us. And this is a, this is a podcast that's aimed at helping people who are working with teenagers yeah. do that better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're working with young adults who have come out of youth groups right. or who stopped going to youth groups and end up at your university or whatever. Right. You know, and, and so my question for you would be, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we do it better, et cetera, et cetera? And, and I think it does all tie into what you're seeing when, you've, when you have these students who choose to stay with a church. Right. What are you finding? Right. So um, the predominant things that I'm uh, I'm finding, and again, this is not exhaustive research. It's mostly qualitative, though. We've we've done some um, some polling and stuff like that. Um, is that um, youth pastors have to facilitate um, a love uh, for the church beyond the tribe? Um, so um, this is if maybe it's an independent church that has a, a fantastic program or whatever. But lots of times, college students um, will leave that church and expect something exactly like that church and become disillusioned when that church doesn't exist in their new context. And so they'll check out of church. And what happened was, is there was a a love that was facilitated for the tribe, but not for the church, right? And so they still have an intact love for Jesus, but they don't know how to um, live that out in a a context where there's um, not a church like they've experienced in the past. And so facilitating a love for church beyond the tribe seems to be um, an incredibly important important thing for youth pastors to to try to do, especially if they're going to uh, not a denominational college or, um, and specifically even more, you know, more a secular school, you know, state school. Um, Because, uh, yeah, we we just see that over and over again. And and students that I I talk with that self-identify as Christian and and love Jesus, but have no interest in in being a part of a, a uh, regularly meeting, you know, Jesus-focused worship gathering. Right. You know, um, and I like how you said that. Regularly meeting yeah. Jesus-focused worship gathering. When you, because when you talk to students about the church, right? Exactly. When you talk yeah. to students about attending a church, they'll instantly recoil. A lot of them because right. we are the church, and that's a, that's a fantastic theology. But yeah. it seems like there's this gathered expression um, that. Uh, that often they're they're missing, and what sometimes I in my maybe my cynical side um, here in that is that um, is that maybe it's uh, license they're giving themselves, uh, you know, in a situation where they just don't want to go to church, so they're emphasizing um, the church in a different way, which doesn't call anything out of them, you know. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's cynical, but but I think the pastor can play a large role in the um, spiritual and faith development prior to departing the youth ministry. The college. So anecdotally, yeah, yeah. you've met and surely work with or know students whose youth pastors did a good job of helping them to love the church yeah, beyond yes, the exactly, tribe. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Can have you heard them talk about specific things that their youth pastor did or specific mm-hmm. practices at their yeah, home congregation right. where that facilitated this? So I think uh, one of the um, one of the things that youth pastors can do is model um, kind of a spirit of partnership with other congregations 
um, and uh, model brotherly and sisterly love, you know, between other youth pastors, you know, and speak speak lovingly about other youth ministries within mm-hmm. that city. Um, and uh, have intentional conversations, whether maybe this, for depending on the size of the youth ministry, it might be the youth leader having this conversation around the youth pastor um, or some type of mentor figure, right. but passing this down so that uh, youth leaders, mentors, and even student leaders um, have not just an attitude of respect um, towards other churches, but when it gets to um, when it gets to that kind of core, maybe senior year, last half of your senior year, you're having intentional conversations about um, you know that transitional yeah. point, so that <clears throat> they uh, they 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 know what it looks like to land well, you know, in a new context with different people, and they know, um, uh, yeah, I guess the, the students that thrive um, have been discipled. They've been discipled and intentionally walked through, um, you know, what the transition will look like, what yeah. the struggles would be, and um, how to be persistent in a new church context when they don't know anybody. They've caught a glimpse of what yeah. it might be and, or what it means to be connected to a church wherever right. you are right. and whatever that looks like. Exactly. So I, I think the key is is intentional discipleship with, a, with addressing those issues along with others, of course, but intentional discipleship rather than relying on um, um, a... a outwardly a fantastic appearing program to facilitate this student's faith, right? So um, getting into the nitty-gritty of actual hands-on, you know, apprenticeship right. rather than um, just programming alone. And this is, again, nothing new. But no, no, but you're, you're, the, the way you're talking about it is, is not, is, it hasn't, we haven't talked about that mm. in youth ministry. I've been in 19 years and this is rather new because mm. The, the, what we're seeing, the, the crisis of the yeah. departure of the young adult, you know, yeah. is is bigger yeah. now in terms of a, if we could call it a problem. Um, yeah, one one thing I see, just a is that a, absolutely yeah. yeah. One thing I see is that, um, and I talk about I'll be talking about this in my seminar on Sunday is that we have a problem in with adolescents and a lot of people like Chap Clark, who's also here, has talked about this is. Um, different language but the bifurcated self and so um adolescents um like embody these different um these different spaces that all um have different norms values beliefs and practices my school self my youth group self. exactly right and so and each of those have because they all have different norms values beliefs and practices um there's a sense of pressure to embody the norms values beliefs and practices of those different spaces Mm -hmm. so it's a hard thing for a student to um, actually find out who they are you know, and so that's the beautiful thing about discipleship versus just a program. Because a program, sometimes all it can do, what it, what it, at its worst it can do, it can facilitate another space where they feel like they have right. to conform. Absolutely. But a beautiful discipleship, and certainly discipleship relationships can can in, in, employ that too in a negative sense. Um, you know, but the, really the the heart, the beauty of a discipleship relationship is it creates a trust um, relationship where the person can become who they are in right. Christ, um, so that. Um, they feel safe um, to actually respond, be in a in a give and take relationship with somebody else. So that that when it gets to that senior moment, that um, <laughs> that's funny, uh, towards the end of their uh, high school experience, yeah. they can actually receive from um, an individual person counsel rather than right. just see it as another person telling them what to do. As you were, uh, this sounds so much like um, Proverbs twenty seven, mm. as water reflects the face, yeah. so a heart reflects. The, the heart or the man, I, I, I'm, I'm probably mixing translations, but I've always taken that to mean that Brian Halferty will know better who he is mm. by looking into the eyes of a person that knows Brian Halferty mm. and, and reflects Great. back yeah. 
the God truth about yeah. Brian yeah. than you will looking in a mirror. And of course, yeah. we speak of you know our society as a mirror yeah. or whatever. Um, and that, so as you talk about discipleship, I'm thinking the the looking at a person and believing what they say yeah. and know about you to be true as your identity yeah. and how powerful that could be for a young adult. And I'm sure you're doing that in your context. Mm. Um, I, I want to ask you about the unitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. www.theunitive.com. And is it just T-H-E-U-N-I-T-I-V-E? Correct, yeah. Um, I, I was told to ask you about it, and yeah. that's it. So I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. I think the word think tank was used or, or something. Okay. Yeah, sure. What is the unitive? And, so, it, and does it relate to young adults? It does, yeah. It's it's a site for young adults, a discipleship presence. Um, it's for young adults? For young adults. Okay. Though it has a reach beyond that. Um, but uh, and, and when you say young adult, are you... 18 are to you th- 25. Okay, 18 yeah. to 25. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, this kind of... Um, emerged out of my particular, um, uh, I guess, um, hopes and frustrations, you know, with where young adults were at. And I realized, I mean, the grave limitations of word-based discipleship content on the web, you know, as, um, but, you know, we were trying to do something, yeah. and start something up. You're and, imagining again, this is, you're imagining a future that looks different. Yeah. What do we do now? Yeah. And the unitive sprang out of that? Yeah. You yeah. started this website. Yeah. And so, um, uh, there, uh, uh, just over and over again, I encountered um, two types of, of uh, Christian students, and I'll maybe I'll use that. Yeah, I can I can use that term, Christian students. Um, one uh, that had kind of a theological, what I'd call a theological rigidity, um, a rigidness with their theology that it was difficult um, for them to encounter or to hear. Um, somebody who was robustly Christian but had a different theological, had a, occupied a different theological space. So it was, it was very challenging to the point where they would stop attending or being a part of a small group or whatever. There's this theological rigidity that almost coupled with an anxiety about somebody else who was also orthodox. And, uh, and so there's this tension there that I kept seeing with students. Um, not necessarily it was the predominant thing, but I, I, it was a repeated theme. Some students would bail out because they couldn't be... Because or, they, or they weren't the same as the other people in their... Yeah, there is, there is a kind of just a... Yeah, I guess it would just, like I said, like a theological... They thought differently? Thought differently. And maybe it's the Calvinist-Arminian thing, whatever. Right, right, but right. either camp, um, and a whole bunch of different camps on a different, whole bunch of different issues... A whole issues, bunch of different issues. You know, um, have this sense where they, they can't actually fellowship, right? They, they, it would limited their ability to be in unity and, and to love each other. And so... Um, so departing from community, I saw, I saw it happen, you know, and I, yeah. I realized that it's not just an intellectual thing, and this is not the majority of students um, by any means. Um, uh, and then I also saw students who um, had such an ambiguous idea of, of God that it really was like, um, it just wasn't clear if they had a, a coherent biblical idea of who God was, right? Just the elemental stuff, God is Trinity, and what does that mean? And, mm-hmm. um, and so... Uh, I looked at people like John Stott um, and uh, and uh, yeah, and J.I. Packer and Billy Graham, people that are uh, central, kind of like centrist, you could say, within the evangelical tradition. Um, people that ha- um, and you know resided in a particular theological space, but were charitable um, with uh, the rest of within the context of you know larger yeah. evangelicalism. Um, and uh, you know, I saw basic uh, basically a, a generation of those people. Um, moving on, passing away, um, and ask the question, who will be next? Will there be 
um, a next group, people stewarding that kind of evangelical center, the, the space where um, you know we should uh, find unity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, really advocating for that for that middle space um, and doing discipleship from that middle space where we can be charitable with each other, right. um, but still be. We talk about being grounded and nuanced. You know, so we're grounded in the, in the orthodox expression of the faith, and spe- specifically within the, uh, the evangelical expression, um, but nuanced enough um, so that we can be charitable with um, other evangelical expressions beyond the place that we've been grown up in and cherished, you know, as our own. Right. So, um, so that was kind of what we've uh, uh, we've sought to create, and so we have uh, folks from a variety of traditions um, uh, within evangelical um, uh, stream. Um, uh, people from uh, yeah a number of denominations and theological backgrounds and it's something that is is challenging in some ways where we have uh, maybe somebody will write an article that not every not all of our contributors totally agree with 100 percent but they can at least respect it and see it as a viable representation of evangelical um, um, thought and practice and, and stuff like that so yeah so it was designed to bring people together um, and and to imagine a future where where yeah, we're yeah. united around the common you know sort of core mm-hmm. and charitable in other ways yeah. and and so you've got big thinkers involved a lot of college common a lot people. of college pastors yeah. okay college yeah. pastors yeah. uh students contributing to this or occasionally we'll have a student uh, contribute in fact we're we're toying with the idea i haven't really talked to many people about this about a student page where there's just student articles um it's maybe not the home page but it's something um that it's easily accessible um and students can share it uh you know on their uh you know on their their walls or tweet it out and and kind of show people that you know they've contributed to something as well um we had our first conference this past um just a one-day conference this past uh summer and uh in seattle and it was kind of like a TED event where 18 minute yeah. presentations and, and thing. It was, it was a great experience and we're looking towards doing another one this, uh, this summer as well. So good. Well, that yeah. sounds great. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate every minute that you've given, uh, to me to be a part of this. Um, I know it's going to be a blessing. We youth pastors yeah. can often, you know, one of the, just, we love our jobs. I think I've got the greatest job on planet earth. But a lot of times we do, we graduate students and then they're gone. Yeah. And um, I, I just appreciate what you, the kinds of things you've said today to guys like me to help us think beyond what we're doing now, you know, because when you put together a retreat or a Bible study or, or, or a camp or a mission trip, you know, it's so easy to think how, how can I make this event the best it can be yeah how can yeah, I yeah. how can I create something that those students want right. to come be a part of right and it is really hard to ask the question before a weekend retreat yeah. am I doing something here what can I do right. Right. that will right. last right. for the next 20 years right. and if I'm not doing anything yeah then, then maybe maybe that's a layer of questioning we don't do enough of and I'm, yeah. I really appreciate because I, I mean that. even in I mean in, in, I even in just the creating an event, because the call is to create disciples, to right. make disciples. Right. That, right. Yes, our job is not to create events, but, but we <laughs> but get they, paid they, to create right, events. Right. You know, to, yeah, yeah. in the process of making disciples, and that's what we all want to do. Right. Right. And so you're, you know, you're right. You're not saying anything new. Yeah. But it's so good to hear a young adult, you know, pastor yeah. reminding me that the common thing, you know, the, the the common answer for students who are still involved in church at the age of 20, 21, 22 is. You know, at its core, 
I grew up at a place that helped me love the church and not just my congregation or my youth group or yes. my friend group. Um, so thank you. So that is great. I, I, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, hearing you this weekend. And um, I'm glad to have made a new friend. Thank uh, you thanks, so David. much. I'm it's shaking honor, his man. hand. He looks way too <laughs> smart for me to give a, no. an actual side hug to. But I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Uh, thank you. Side hug. That's right. Uh, for, for you guys, Brian Halverty has just extended a digital side hug. Uh, for me, I got a real one. I'll just be honest. I got a real one. Uh, you'll be here. You fly back when? Uh, Monday morning. Monday morning, back to Seattle. By the way, you live in one of the most beautiful areas of our entire country. <laughs> we think so, too. I, I went backpacking there a few years ago. Please tell, can you tell the state of Washington that I said hello? I will. And I, I, and I missed I. them. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know who we're going to have next, but I think it might be Darren Sutton. We'll see. There we go. Thank you, uh, and we'll see you next time on the Digital Side Hub.